This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you are listening to the Next Stage Podcast. It's Hanukkah, and as long-time listeners know, I have the incredible merit of broadcasting from the Maccabean partisan camp that served as headquarters of our revolt against the Syrian Greek Empire from the time Matityahu and his sons launched their armed struggle in Modin until the liberation of Jerusalem and the purification of our temple a few short years later that we celebrate on Hanukkah. I do want to stress that our return to Jerusalem and rededication of the temple celebrated on Hanukkah did not mark the end of that war. In fact, our struggle against what our sages call the Third Empire continued on for more than an additional 20 years. You could actually learn all about it by listening to the limited podcast series Robert Goodman's been putting out on the first book of Maccabees through Vision Magazine. In any case, what I'd like to do on the show today is to explore a deeper understanding of Hanukkah and how the stories, laws, and rituals associated with the festival should orient the way we as Jews perceive and experience our world. And I actually thought that the best way to do this might be to play for you a recording of one of my close teachers, Rav Moshe Kaplan, who himself was a student of Rav Tzvi Yehuda Kohen Kuk, and arguably possesses the deepest understanding of the teachings of Rav Kuk, both father and son, of anyone teaching Torah in the English language. So instead of me struggling to articulate these deeper ideas relating to Hanukkah, I figured why not just to let you hear them directly from the mouth of my teacher. Anyone who heard last year's Hanukkah episode, Decolonize Hanukkah, where Arya Shapiro came on the show to help me apply some of Franz Fanon's ideas to the Maccabean Revolt, will likely recognize the beginning of the recording I'm about to play for you because it served as the intro to that episode. I know that a lot of listeners really enjoyed that clip and wanted to know where they could access the class in its entirety, and that feedback really influenced my decision to play it for you here. So this is actually going to be the full class. I'd also like to take this time to wish listeners a Hanukkah Sameach and to remind you that if you like what we do here at the Vision Movement and at Vision Magazine, you can support our work by going to visionmovement.org or visionmag.org and hitting the donate button on the menu bar up top. It's important to remember that all of our podcasts at Vision are 100% listener funded, and we don't want that to ever change. So your support is incredibly important and appreciated. And if you're currently unable to financially contribute to our work, doing something as simple as sharing episodes of this podcast with some friends or leaving a positive review on iTunes can be incredibly helpful in helping to expand our reach. So now, without further ado, I'd like to share Rav Moshe Kaplan's class on Hanukkah, based on the teachings of Rav Kook. And you can, of course, check out the show notes for this episode at visionmag.org backslash the next stage 65. So, I just figured we could read together something for Hanukkah from the book of Mamarei Hariyah. Mamarei Hariyah is a collection, as it sounds, Mamarei Hariyah's articles of uh, Mamarim, collection of articles of Rav Kook, usually more publicistic, in other words, printed in different newspapers or uh, public places, uh, periodicals. And they collected them and put it together, these two volumes. Also some oral uh, speeches he gave. On page 152, there's a section here on, on all the holidays, the very nice, important, nice things on each holiday. Shabbat Yisrael Bahasmanim, but we'll do this, obviously, what's pertaining to Hanukkah. One of the articles, there's a few more, called Pach Hashem in 152 in Mamarei Riyadh. First, Rav Kook brings down 
the Gemara in Shabbat. When the, the Gemara in Shabbat talks about what we celebrate Hanukkah for, so it says when the, the first it proceeds out, he doesn't quote the whole Gemara here, of when the, the Greeks persecuted the Jews and they went in and they uh, defiled all the oils, etc. But here, he says when, they, when we overcame them, when the kingdom of Hashmonai overcame uh, this Greek kingdom, they only found one pach, one flask of oil, which was found in the, in the seal, sealed with the seal of the coin gadol, the high priest. It was only enough to last for one day. And it lasted, right? They lit what was supposed to last, right? The conservation of energy only should last for one day, but it lasted for eight days. Which also to those that explain that that was the measure for measure. You know, the, the Greeks couldn't take anything beyond this world, what the eyes saw, the human intellect. And uh, the laws of nature, right? There's a law of the conservation of energy. There's nothing yesh, there's no yesh me'ayin, there's no something from nothing. And here this miracle showed in and itself the oil that was supposed to last for one day lasted for eight days. Which is against that uh, the new energy was created as, uh, beyond what's in this world. The whole belief in miracles, understanding that there's a divine beyond, that, something that transcends this world in the eyes of man. Uh, that's what they couldn't take, and that's what they despised in the Jewish people, and that brought down the Shekhinah, the divine presence in life, in uh, in this world. The divine light that comes, Shochen. What is what Shekhinah means uh, residing. That the divine presence, the divine light and good and morality comes into this world. Not only that Again, the human, what man understands, limited the finite world as he sees it. To bring that into the individual, the family, the nation, and the world. And that's what they went against, the Torah and the Beit HaMikdash, which was the center of that Torah, that Hashrat HaShchina, that divine dwelling in this world. That's why they attacked those two specifically, the decrees against the Torah and against the Beit HaMikdash. That they just... So now Rav Kook explains a little bit... Again, in Enaya, he has an explanation on this Gemara. It's uh, very elaborate and amazing um, about the oils and a whole long, uh, many, many pages there on this Sugiya of Gemara, Chanukah. But here, this is more, like, more what publicized there in the periodicals of the time. It doesn't have the year here exactly. I don't know when it was actually printed. But uh, we'll see inside. Tumatashmanim, the defiling of the oils. Hashchatat hamidot vadeot is equal to, is tantamount, symbolizes the destruction of the traits, the characteristics, the midot, right, our morality, and the deot, and the ideas, the religious Jewish concepts. In other words, like many rabbis and those that explain that the Shmanim, Shemen, is likened to wisdom, right? The Shemen is the is wisdom, knowledge. But that itself already, just in those few words before we go on, that idea of that symbolism, what do you mean the oils? The oils were, the, the Greeks went into the Beit HaMikdash and uh, defiled the oils that were there and the, that were needed to light the, the menorah. 
So what is it symbolic here? It's talking about they defiled the ideas of Am Yisrael, they defiled the holiness of the traits, of the characteristics. We'll see the purity of the family, of holiness, of in family life and, and, and relations. So which is it? Is it something symbolic, allegorical? I think you asked that yesterday about something, right? The same idea. No? no? Someone asked that. Did it happen or didn't happen? It's symbolic. So that's the amazing phenomenon that it took place, literally, historically. It's like you have an author that writes a book. You have, I don't know, you learned in English literature. You took English literature in school, whatever. You read uh, Hemingway, Shakespeare. Oh, Shakespeare, you should. You know. And then you learn, what do you learn in the class? What's the symbolism, right? The waves symbolize life's man. And the bridge is the, the bridge over troubled waters. You have everything is symbolic. Every word there, every, not every word, but the opposite. The more the, that every detail is symbolic as a representation of inner content, the greater the author. Well, how amazing that he put into these words a simple story, but there's meaning behind it. This person, this character represents the evil of mankind. What do you mean? There's a character, this guy called, you know, Shlomo, whatever. But no, that character the author wrote that has symbolic meaning and content. And that's the, the beauty of the author, you know, the, his, of the beauty of the reading in literature is to appreciate not just the surface story, which is fiction, right? But uh, the meaning that the author is trying to convey about society, about human culture, about nature, etc. What's amazing here is not only in fiction, that there is symbolic meaning, but in the non-fiction of history, in other words, the author, capital A, the author of history, the mover of history, that all the details that took place, that took place in history, the reality, there were Greeks and there were Jews and the Maccabees and there was the temple and there was the oils. And all of that takes place, historically, has deeper meaning. In other words, it's so perfectly arranged by the arranger of history that that which took place historically with human free will and in, in, intrigues and going on, that is not by chance. Everything there has meaning, has a deeper meaning, has content. And that's why there's an obligation, the ability and the obligation to learn, to learn what happened, to learn what took place, to learn history. That's the verse in the Torah, the, uh, the book of Dvarim, Zehu Yemot Olam, Remember the days of history, the days of the world. And the rabbis say something that says like it's a commandment, not one of the, uh, but it's a, uh, in chapter 32, Zechor Yemot Olam, remember the days of old, Binu Shnot Dor Vador, Consider, analyze, binu, right? Lidbonen, bina, wisdom, you know, with the analysis. And analyze the generations of, uh, the translate in English, the, the many, years of many generations. Ask your father what took place, he will tell you. In other words, the history. But history, from, with the point of view of uh, recognizing the hand, the mover behind history. This isn't some fiction with symbolic meaning. It's even more amazing that the fact that it actually took place, and yet it has different meaning. It has symbolic, true meaning. Depends what vision you see things in, the X-ray vision, that enables you to see beneath the surface of the events that took place. Yes, there was Avram Avinu. We mentioned right about last week, about the Pashar Vayishlach, of the, the father and the mothers and the maidservants. 
And all of that yet is very deep under the building of the house of Israel. So too here. A little we mentioned yesterday of the Maharal that analyzes and brings out all the different points here of the details of what took place historically in uh, the temple. We mentioned how Yavan is numerical equivalent of Yavan, Yud, Vav, Nun. Like three little lines, right? One. Greece, it's Greece. Greece, right. Right, 65, right? 66, excuse me. So 66. And we said how the Hechal, the, where they went into, right? They went into the Holy of Holies. Not into the Holy of Holies. They went into the, the chamber of holiness of the temple. And that's called the Hechal. And that is, the Maral explains, is number 60, 65, right? This was all in the mitzvah candle. We mentioned a few things yesterday. But again, what do you mean? He's playing these games here. There's numerical equivalence. And we said that he, they couldn't get to the level of the Kohen. They couldn't contaminate the flask of the Kohen Gadol. Because Kohen is Gematria 75. And so that's the level of the Holy of Holies that he explains here. The level of Holy of Holies, that's this transcending level that that cannot be reached by the Greeks. Not only physically, geographically. But the, the level, that dimension, that aspect of the, as we'll see, the inner holiness of the Jewish people, that divine implanted inner, inner root level, that no human being, no Jew, no, no one can touch that, reach that level, can contaminate that level. And explains all the deeper significance of the, even the word hechal, which they could contaminate, which they did. They defiled all the oils, all the, as we said, the traits here, the wisdom. They got to the Hellenism that spread and infiltrated even the Jews. They said there were even the Kohanim, some of the priests that served then used to hurry up and serve serve in the temple you know, do the sacrifices and then run to the gymnasium, to the, the games, whatever, and uh, which you know that also we'll see later, the way they were played, but to, we'll get to that maybe. So there was, in other words, the infiltration of, their cunt, of the, this culture, quote-unquote, even to the hechal level, even to the holy level. But this other dimension of the, he explains it, even Hechal is made up of the word Heyud Chaflamid, which is again 65. But the He is with the Tzere, he says. The Tzere is sounds He. In other words, it itself, the He already has like Heyud. In other words, if you add the extra 10, in other words, the extra Yud, the Yud is that we mentioned that transcending dimension that the, the says this world was created with the He and the world to come was created with the Yud. The Yud is the smallest, the minute, the inseparable, the unfracturable level of the divine, the absolute good, not the multiplicity of worldliness of the He. We explain. I don't want to go through that again. But the He Yud in the Hechal adds an extra, the hidden Yud, that transcending level. In the that's what causes the Hechal to become on this level of seventy-five, which they can't reach. And that's why the Kohen with the eight uh, clothes that the Kohen used to wear. The special uh, garments of the Kohen were eight uh, levels of clothing. And that's the level of the Brit Milah, the seven days of nature, that man is the way he's born. And the eighth day, the Brit Milah that we make transcends, brings him to a higher level of beyond nature. Now we talked about the eighth, and that's why the holiday took place eight days. The Maral explains all these things. He reveals, in other words, the what you call a quote-unquote symbolism, but of what took place. In other words, the x-ray vision. The newspapers talked about what took place. Sometimes, it depends, Some, they wrote, uh, not everything was important for the newspapers. Some newspapers write only the murders and they write different, the bad things. So even, but nevertheless, the, uh, the facts on the historical level were revealed, were seen. But there's an inner dimension. And that's what Akuk is referring to here, the tumat the defiling of the oils. Hashchatat midot that is referring to 
Again, literally it took place, but that's referring to, that's a, a reference to, symbolic of the level of what they defiled, the traits and the deot, the opinions, right? The religious uh, concepts. Which came about, this defiling came about through the overcoming, what it says, gavra, right? The, the, the overcoming of the Greek culture and entered the camp of Israel. And that's what Alexander the Great, right, the student of uh, Aristotle, his attempt was to lashlit et ruach, in other words, to give dominion to the Greek uh, philosophy, outlook, not just physically capturing. He wanted to spread the idea, spread the uh, this, the Greek uh, world view. And he succeeded. They took over the whole world. It was, uh, And in Israel also, they managed to get a certain level that they also penetrated. That is the worst plague, the worst thing that afflicts, afflicts until the, the, the depth of the, the soul of the nation of Israel. Because there, again, this whole outlook of, as you know, right, the external beauty, the... Uh, Instead of the inner content, the beauty in man, the, the, the spiritual elevation, without that, instead of that, external beauty, when the beauty comes <coughs> after, upon, inner holiness, inner goodness, inner righteousness, and then it's expressed in ex- external beauty, that's uh, good and proper. But their whole view was there is no, uh, no, there's no need to, there's no uh, this internal, the spiritual, the, uh, the divine content. It's the, again, one side, the sports, right, that were really developed, the physical, the external beauty, and uh, the philosophy. But again, human philosophy. And the whole life of luxuries, of extras, of the, of what continues to this day, the Western uh, cultures of finding favor in the eyes of other people, how you look, the image, right, you have image builders, how you look, how you're seen. You end up spending money buying another car, buying a house. Why? Because the neighbors and the... Uh, what do we look like next to the Jones? We don't have the, 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 the new Cadillac or whatever that everyone has. It's not being yourself, not living yourself, your goodness, you're the man in you, the, the holiness, but rather the building this external facade. And that becomes the image of the main, the main goal, the focus. And the entertainment, letting go of the Yitzharim, the, the lusts, as opposed to, again, I'm talking you know, the whole distinction between that of what they came against the soul of Israel. In the Midot and the Deot, of right, they made that decree that every betrothed, every engaged woman, girl before the marriage has to has to be uh, meet up with uh, the Tafsar. What do they call him? I don't know the Roman, the Greek, the Greek, one of the rulers, one of the uh, what do they call him? A general, right? They, in other words, to defile the women before they get married, they have to be defiled. In other words, to try to get rid of this holiness of the Jewish people, this modesty, the, the, the family unit, the holiness, that's where Rav Kook elaborates more in Enaya, of the holiness of the family unit, the purity, the, the they say nemanut, the faithfulness, the here, the, to destroy that, to decree against that, of tzniut, the modesty, that they couldn't take, that they, uh, and it's not just the, the base people, Aristotle, they write in the Republic, 
right? The ideal republic, the ideal state. Women are the shachle kulam. They they belong to everyone. There's no like family unit. It's women belong to everyone, and michlal the women. That's a good thing already because the norm in those days, in those days of Greece, was uh, homosexuality. Everyone had their own. Uh, what did they call them? Called them playboys, but that's I mean, uh, Alexander the Great also was known. He had his uh, his apprentices, his boys that, and that was normal then. It wasn't that wasn't an aberration. You're uh, in private, something not proper. That was the norm, right? The fame, like I said before, the gymnasium, the sports were all done naked. And the Jews, it says, used to participate. And they're running in the sports and naked, and they had a problem because the Brit Milah, they were embarrassed that they had a Brit Milah, so they tried to cover it and hide that and then do things to try to, as much as I don't know how exactly, but to avoid that being seen. But that was the, the sports then, and the, the nakedness, and the, the, the Yitzarim, the, the getting rid of any morality, any uh, harnessing the, the beast in man. No. And that's why Amishel, this holiness, this purity of family, and the, the relationship, and this. That that uh, <laughs> went against the whole grain. That they couldn't kick teeth. That's why they made the, the again the whole uh, decrees against Shabbat, against Brit Milah, against the Chodesh. There's different things. The Rambam each one has to be explained why they made. But anything that is divine, anything that shows that the transcending value that is beyond the human, beyond the natural, beyond what exists as it is now. Brit Milah, you ruin the body, the way nature as nature, nakedness, and, and the, again, the bestiality level, not, that's what they call nature, to be natural, to remain an animal, instead of elevating man, to be the superman that he is, the, the spiritual man, that's not against nature, that's your real nature. But God left it that you have to develop it, if you expose it. It's not automatic. So indeed, that's the beauty of man, that he has the ability and the intellect to do so, and the divine guidance to do so, but to leave man as it is and say, that's, and they'll leave the world the way it is, and all of its corruption and evil and darkness. And that's why Yavan is the, remember, we mentioned the, the verses in Rishit that refer to the four kingdoms. Yavan is that darkness. To darken mankind, to leave him into this, to use already the teacher of, the teacher of Alexander the Great, right? Alexander the Great was a student of Aristotle. Aristotle, the student of Plato. Plato, and you get the Socrates, right? So, but Plato, the famous allegory of the cave that we like to mention, because it's so, uh, again, the significance of, because he met up with certain prophets, maybe where he got these ideas from. Nevertheless, how the world is uh, the shadow that we see here, we think this is the reality, this is what there is, that's all there is, there's nothing, this is just a shadow of the real, of the root world, of the ideal, of the ideal, the world of ideals. That's a, a closer to a Jewish idea. And it says in the Zohar, actually in the, one of the footnotes, I forget which relative, the grandfather, great-grandfather of Cook, of Tzuda. And the Zohar, there's a certain place where it says that the, this is the close to the ways of the Torah. Krivin den, orche de minuta. And he says that's referring to uh, Plato. This is Aplaton. In Hebrew we call him Aplaton. That Plato was close to the ways of, that's the, more the direction of Amisha. That's why Aristotle was, took a different direction. He says, what are you talking about? The uh, world of ideas. He laughed at Plato, so to speak. How, show me the ladder, how to get there. What do you mean? A world of ideals. This is <laughs> the world, scientific, analytic. But that locks the world into that darkness. So that suffocated, that's all there is, this cave. And Amisha, 
the exact opposite. That's in the day. That's in the um, the midot, but also in the deot of the idolatry. As you know, everything had its own god, its own uh, pestel, its own uh, right. What was the pantheon? You have all the pantheos, the the multitude of gods. Right? You have the pantheon. All you have your selection. You go in to supermarket. Which god do you want? Which one do you want to serve? You want to appease which god? You have a myriad of these gods, the forces, but the oneness, the goodness, the harmony of creation. That's why they couldn't take Amishel, the exact antithesis of these traits, the midot and the deot, and these opinions. But unfortunately, as he said, they succeeded to penetrate a certain level. But this is from the wonders of God, of the ways of God. Even the opinions that stem from the foundation of Torah, of the oneness of God, as opposed to that pantheism and that, not pantheism, but the pantheon, right, of uh, eliliut, of idolatry, the oneness of God, that also was damaged by the hand of uh, the yoke of the spirit of Greece. Just like the Kohen within Am Yisrael is he that shows the way, is the example, the living example of holiness, of, of, of spirituality. So too, every Jew has an element of kuhuna in him. Interesting fact. In other words, every Jew has a um, what he calls here the Tzad Kuna. He explains this, I think, in Maser Sheni, in the Enaya. Because it says, every, you know, the Trumot and Masot, the Tids, what do you call them, Tids? How do you say in English? Uh, the, the things you offer, you know, the Tithes, T-I-T-H-E-S, right? Tithes. The Trumot and Masot that you give, usually to the Kohanim and the Levim. But there's one, the Maser Sheni goes to the owner. No, the owner himself eats it, but he has to eat it in Yerushalayim. He has to take it up with him to Yerushalayim and there he eats it in holiness. So again, Rav Kook explains at length here, he just refers to it quickly, how there's an aspect of the Kohen in every Jew. All of us has an, a lineage of Kuhuna in us, this trait of Kuhuna. Because we go up to Yerushalayim, we all like have that thing, we give ourselves, we eat from those, from those tithes of our own. But he says, because as a whole... We are part of the nation is a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In the world level, Amishel is that Kohen that guides and directs and is a living influence of, of goodness, of holiness in this world, of the Shekhinah in this world. The living presence, that receptacle of, that it receives and expresses God's name and goodness in His ways, in His life, in His traits. That is the Kohen. And that in Amishel is the Kohen, but in the world, that is the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Like it says in Shemot, before we're going, right? Before we get the Ten Commandments, it says, you will be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So you're all Kohenim, ultimately. The desire, the inner desire for holiness of life. The opposite of this culture and the influence of this culture that did penetrate, that desire for holiness, the holiness of life, that life is not just uh, live 
as a beast and do whatever comes to you. The external, the physical, the moment, the, the private, but rather the collective, the universal, the divine, the, the, the eternal values and the transcending divine values that there's an absolute good that comes to guide this world. That, that inner chuka, what is chuka? That inner lust, that inner desire for the holiness of life and the knowledge of Torah. Again, life and Torah, the two aspects of the way you live it and this cleavage of the knowledge of Torah. And to go in its ways. Gnuzai, that is entrenched. That is ganuz, that is hidden in the depths of the heart of the Jewish person. That is a created entity. That is not something that we decide or choose. That is an inner essence that is uh, absolute. So much so that that can't change even when the outside is influenced and it seems like the culture, we have switched the culture and people complain even today, but we'll get to that. We had a few classes on it, a series maybe a year ago of the culture war, of how significant this is, this battle that goes till this day of uh, the continuation of the Greek modern Western culture as opposed to these values of eternity, of divine values that come to this world, that come to guide this world and have the ability to lift up. But Am Yisrael is built with this built-in system we mentioned, I think, last week in the article of Rav Kook, Date Lokim, one of the deeper articles of how Am Yisrael is built to the God that comes down to the world, reveals himself to the world. Because God, man can't reach the divine, the absolute. Late Machshavat Fisapay, it says in the meaning of the Zohar, Tikkun Zohar, those that say Ptach Eliyahu, the Sfaradim, it's quoted... That the mind, we cannot grasp the divine. That's not in this world or in the capacity of anything finite to grasp the infinite. But God lowered himself, his ideals meaning, his, his will, his good, that is translated to the worldly language. And Amishel is built with the exact corresponding mechanism to grasp that lowered ladder and to live it, to want to know it and to live it. And thus we talked about how we can actually climb the ladder and get closer to that unknowable, but actually getting closer and closer. But here also, he says that inner lust to be, to know, and to, to walk in the ways of God, that's built in. That's the Jewish soul. That's the neshama that God lowered down. He lowered the ideals, but not just to a world that can't accept it. Oh, you have a great idea, great philosophy, but it's not realistic. Man is not able to live these highfalutin, spiritual, lofty ideals. No. He created the ideals, he lowered the ideals, but he created the vehicle that exactly built the, if you wish, the male and the female, the, uh, the receptacle that is built to receive and to live, that the whole mechanism is such that it desires and wants to live only to live up to those, to cling to those ideals and live them and rise, as we said, closer and closer to the roots of those ideals and the roots of the roots and thus get closer to Hashem. That's built in. That's what we talked about there in Enaya about how the Maser Sheni that the owners eat. The owners are like they become as if Kohanim and it comes to elevate to, excuse me, to Laorer, to wake up the Kohonic, how do you say, Kohanic, uh, Kohen found, uh, foundation. That Kohen side of us which is the divine, the inner holiness, let's call it. 
המתפשטת על דרכי החיים ועל כל מרחב הדעה והתורה, גם היא הייתה כבר מוכנה להתחלל מכוחה של יוון. Even though this inner level of כהונה, of the כהן level of עם ישראל, was also ready to be defiled by the power of יוון. That's what we saw. The, uh, right, that's what took place. That's what the Gemara is talking about here. The day they defile the oils. The cook explains. I don't know if we'll see it inside. So maybe I'll just say maybe one sentence. How it's not that they defiled. They went to each oil and touched it with the, you know, the nandra that defiles. It actually touches the oils. And now it's impure. It can't be used for the candelabra. The, he explains what the Gemara, based on the wording there, the exact Hebrew and grammar, that in Tamud, Kol they... They caused that they were all defiled. In other words, the very entrance of the Greeks to this inner level of Am Yisrael, in other words, the infiltration, the penetration of their culture to the certain level of Am Yisrael, the, the, the spiritual level, that automatically defiled all the oils. The oils being, the again, our cultural understanding and our aspirations. Once you take away, how do they do that? When you take away the divinity, take away the divine content, You can, the Torah will keep it up next to the books of uh, Plato and whatever, Aristotle, great books of philosophy, also the books of Torah. But as human wisdom, you can read them, but they become human. Take away the divine. There is no divine. Get rid of those, that nonsense. There's human, there's intellectual greatness and deep thought. But once you contaminate, once you take away the divine, then even if you continue doing the mitzvot, folklore, But now you're, you've taken away that whole dimension. That's what they managed to do. To take away the understanding, the, the connection that you're dealing with the Word of God. We're not reading here interesting works, spiritual works, intellectual, philosophical works, Kabbalah, Kabbalistic works. But it's all in the confines of this world, of man's 200, 500, 3,000 IQ. That's what the Greeks want, and that's what their whole, and that's what they succeeded, he says. They're, def- they're defiling with the oils, what you have the oils, you continue with the religiosity, we have Shabbat, and we'll keep the mitzvot. But once you take away the God out of it, then uh, it loses its, that's contaminated, the oil, all the oils now are contaminated. By their very penetration, that defiles all the oils, in and of itself. Not specifically, the poison is now planted, and that I wanted to, oh, I forgot to bring an article I want to show you how this day, in other words, it still continues with us. There's a rabbi that, modern orthodox, they call him. I think he passed away already not too long ago. How he writes about a certain idea in Judaism and he brings for a proof that it's good and it's true and it's worthy to continue this certain law or aspect of Judaism because even this non-Jewish philosopher, maybe he brings some, maybe Greek philosopher, agrees also. That gave it the stamp of approval. Once it has the stamp of approval, that's the, you know, we're there the big, Criteria. If they say yes, then we know we're on the right road. The ultimate authority. Right? That's the ultimate authority. In other words, where is your... Who do you see as your God? Quote, unquote. In other words, your Elil, your, your authority. And that's what we lost. Once the Greeks penetrated, we lost that divine, knowing that we're dealing with something that's not something human that you can decide and judge and according to the usual criteria. This is something that transcends any, anything. It's a different level, different world. It's not... And once you get rid of that, then you continue. Judaism remains, so to speak. We're doing the mitzvot and we, you know, we have to filter fish and we, yeah, we're religious. We're... But it's without that infiniteness, <laughs> right, 
of the divinity, of the divine essence in it. That's what they took, that's what they defiled. And once you took the, the God out of it all, then they defiled all the oils. Then everything is contaminated now. Even that which you do do, and continue as if. That is, um, so I said, this article, how this rabbi writes with such awe in front of the, um, the non-Jewish authority, that the philosopher, that that gives us, that's for the approval. That's what that's say. The, the culture becomes that they are, what is considered successful? What is considered kidma? What kidma? You like Upan, you like. Kidma is forward. Oh, you're fine. So in English it's called, what's it called? Uh, kidma is um, progress. Yeah, I guess you can call it. But modernity. In other words, uh, there's another word for it in English. But that's like progress. That's modern. That's like, the, you guys are backwards. Right, that's really the advance. That's what, um, you have to be normal. You have to be, and that's judged by uh, this modern superculture. Greece, well, again, the philosophers, the thinkers. That's where the, until this day, again, modern Western thought, that's where the uh, the ultimate is, the, the, the advance, the modernity, the... Uh, no, there's another word. But uh, they're, they're the yardstick for success. They are what's considered what is true and not true. That's the yardstick. And then we have to know and we judge Judaism. What we accept and do is what is accepted, what is goes along with uh, what they see also. If it's accepted by them, given the stamp of approval. If not, <laughs> we don't want to be backwards. And that's the sad thing. That's the weak ones among us that are swallowed into this culture that uh, until this day that's what they're trying to still this war goes on of uh, we mentioned this battle of this culture war of all the stores right everything is everything is in English all the names of stores and all the names of products and everything now we have to become to be more modern to become more uh, is to be like everyone else to be like the advanced culture of Europe to be to be accepted in the European Union that's that would be the ultimate it's like this giant wants to be accepted by, you know, this university genius professor. He wants to go back to the kindergarten and have the kids accept him. And, you know, like, oh, you can be one of us. And to lower and to go down to their level. Yeah, what to give. You're not from this world. The level of the prophecy that comes, the words of the living God of the, comes down to raise up the world beyond the cave, to get out of this cave. And you ask the cavemen, can I have your approval maybe for these ideas? And it, it's sad, it's sad. It's not funny. I mean, it is funny, but it's sad. It's right. But that's... Um, but that, he said, even infiltrated the Kohen level. To be desecrated from the power, from the strength of Yavan, of the Greek culture. So that's it. That's the end of the Jewish people. That's the end of the Jewish culture. That's the end of the God's oneness and then the, the penetration of the divine ideals to the world. No. There's another level. They got to the Kohen level which is also an inner level of Am Yisrael. But there's another level. Od yoter amok believe. There's a deeper level in the heart. Shochen or haneshama Yisraelit dwells the soul, the light of the soul, the Jewish soul. The neshama. Shesham ganuz ha-keshra penimisha la-isha Yisraelit. For there is imprinted, hidden, the inner connection of the Jewish person. Which is manifested in, in the totality, in the nation at large. 
That is what is linked to that true emunah, the understanding of the living of the God of Israel. Not to separate from that house of, house of life, which is what the emunah, the faith, the connection to the divine, to the source of life, source of all existence. So there's another dimension. They manage, and that's what we mentioned yesterday, as we talk about the four kingdoms, and what, what the Maral talks about, the Hechal level and the Kodesh level, but there's the Kodesh Kodeshim, the, the Nivdal level. The Nivdal is that transcending level the, uh, that they can't get to, that no one, uh, Israel's divine and Kodesh quality that has no end, it will never cease. Has no bounds, the physical has bounds and limits, but there's the, the Kodesh, the Nivdal. So they can get to this level of the Kodesh even. That's still in this world. That's the holiness revealed in this world, but there's a level that is so hidden. That is the Kohen Gadol, the flask of the Kohen Gadol in the Holy of Holies. And that's why the numerical equivalent, again, what the Maral explains, the numbers and the, the, 60, the 75 that can overcome the 66, even though the 66 of Yavan can overcome the 65 of the Kohen level. But there's a deeper level. You have to get out the electron microscope, even deeper than the regular, the x-rays, and then you can see the inner level. This is the inner dimension of the Jewish person. Where it's parallel on the national level, the collective level is the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. Right? If the Kohen, every Jew has, as opposed to in the world, so I speak, where the whole nation is the Kohen. But within the nation of Israel, there's the, not only the Kohen, there's the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. And that, in every Jew, is this high priest level, is this inner, inner dimension. This inner Sgula dimension. Right, we learned about that in the Garrett. What letter? Number? Noach. There's a final exam. We'll have to give more tests here, more homework maybe. So with the letters, without numbers. They get a Takana. 555. They get a Takana, it's called. The distinction between the Skula and the Bechira. Right, the Skula is the inner divine, immutable, divinely implanted, what he's talking about here dimension. And then there's the free will level, where each one of us comes on the sea. That's a priori. That's before us, beyond us, whether we want and understand, believe or not. Then there's the free will level, how much we understand, live up to that, and express and, and are true to that inner nature. But that's the inner nature. A person walks on all four, acts like a dog, he remains a human being. It doesn't express it. It's not coming to maximal potential using it. But he remains a human being. Even more so, the Jewish people, that neshama level, that skula level, that divine content of absolute values and ideals that come to this world, to illuminate this world, that's there no matter what. And that can't be defiled. The free will level and the corruption and the Hellenism, and the, that indeed can and was, in this case, uh, indeed defiled. But that's the level of Kohen Gadol. That's what the Maral elaborates here about the Nivdal level. That's the whole thing of Hanukkah, the inner dimension. And that's why it erupted. That inner level that seemed to be gone and finished and doomed Right? It could last for one day only, the laws of nature. It exploded, erupted to eight days, which is eight, again, he says, is the beyond nature. And it was after the 25th of, Tish, of Kislev. The 25th of Kislev, why? That's when the light starts to, the days come, become longer. The light starts to expand, right? The days, the more the hours of light are greater. And why the 25th? That was when light was created, the 25th of Elul, right? In creation. Man was created in the beginning of the sixth day. Rosh Hashanah, but the 25th of Elul, when light was created, the first day, that's this 25 has a certain aspect of this light. And light, he says, is the most spiritual entity. It's the most, the closest thing there is, he says, to um, that which is not physical. So you're saying 
Yeah, what the Maral says, yeah, he says the 25th of Kislev specifically, this took place. And again, it took place actually, but we mentioned this similarly. Why that God worked out that it would be this time is, again, this amazing juxtaposition, if you will, the amazing symbolism of this non-fiction. The 25th day of Kislev specifically, it began Hanukkah, since on this day the light of the world again begins to increase and gain in strength. Exactly the 25th is proper, for exactly on this day the light was created. Right, the man being created on the first of Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, and the, that was the sixth day of creation, and the light was created on the first day. And he talks about this, he goes on at length there, and then he says at the end here that light was more, more than any other component of the world is removed from the physical. And therefore it was created from the place of the temple. Like all these concepts are connected. The, the divine, the absolute, the beyond, the transcending, or in the temple, the, the Torah, the, the eight, the, uh, everything here is, he points out, the significance we mentioned yesterday, right? Even light is a question if it's a chloket, if it's a particle or a wave. Uh, but light, the word light in or, is in Hebrew the same gematria of raz, the rabbis point out. Raz is like a secret. Light is, uh, again, like he says, on the border of physical and spiritual. All the books of Rav Kook, as you've seen, all, most of them, right? Or, orot, orot HaKodesh, orot HaTshuva, orot HaTorah, orot HaRiyah, orot... The lights... That's what uh, the divine lights that penetrate this world, that come in, the goal is to illuminate the world. And that's what we do on Hanukkah. We take out the Hanukkah and the public to publicly announce and proclaim it to spread this light. We mentioned yesterday, as opposed to all those four different empires that attempted each one in its own way to try to quench that light, to prevent it, we announce and pronounce and, and make known that the light will continue and, and cannot be stopped because it's not a human light that can be stopped, not from this world. And that's what he says here, getting back where we stopped, um, that there's this inner level, that, that this light in the soul of the Jewish soul that is implanted, the nation, with the connection to the divine, that can never be separate. Ah, that is the aspect of the Kohen Gadol level. That goes into the inner, inner chambers. Right? It goes into the holiest place, the holiest person, and the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. He is like totally separate, transcending the worldly endeavors. That's where they found what? This undefiled oil. That's where if you want to find where the roots that they couldn't reach that they can never be contaminated. There's a level, there's a dimension, the Kohen Gadol, this flash that existed, but it was also the, the symbolic understanding that that's the level they couldn't reach. It wasn't by chance they didn't get there. And it makes a nice story. No, the, the way that God arranges history that is such, like you learn from history the traits and what you can get from it, that this is the level that they cannot touch. Even like the Kotel Maravi, they explain, right? The Western Wall. And you can give all the explanations you want, but that's still standing. There's things that the rabbis talk about, the Shekhinah that never leaves there. And not like no one tried, right? <laughs> the last 2,000 years. There's uh, So again, the historical reality this is an expression of this inner content. Inner symbolism. Inner content is a better word. So too, the saying, this pacha katan shemunach b'chotamosh l'koyinah. Therefore, this flask, this small flask, quantitatively, the smallest miniature thing, it can't last. We can't light with it. That's what the rabbis asked, the famous, famous, famous question. I'm sure you've learned it probably already in all the classes you had on Hanukkah. Of why do we celebrate eight days? 
the miracle was only for seven. Why? Why? Right, it was enough to last for one day. So one day you had for seven days. That's the miracle. So what's the different answer? The whole booklet, right, of all the hundreds of answers. So the morale explains. He says maybe you you could say he brings out one answer that um, they put in the first day all the no that they put in an eighth every day. And uh, it lasted, because they, you know, they had to go to Modi'in to get the pure thing, until they came back, four days and four days. So they put it enough, they knew it would take eight days till they get the pure new oil. So they put in an eighth every day. Ah, but that's not good, because halakhically, you have to put in enough that, uh, to fulfill the commandment of fulfilling enough that lasts for a day. In other words, it's better, he says, um, to have one day lit properly with the full measure, and not to have eight days of, a, of an eighth and eighth, which you didn't fill any, none of the days are fulfilled. It's preferable to light the menorah properly for one night, even if no oil will remain for tomorrow, than to use less than the required measure of oil and not fulfill the mitzvah even once. So he goes, but still, so what's the answer? He says, no. They put in the whole amount, the proper amount, and every night only an eighth of it was used. And therefore it was eight days. He also later talks about the um, what was the miracle we celebrated. We commemorate the miracle of the oil, like it says in the Gemara that, that we just read here, the beginning of the article here, that they found the flask and it lasted for eight days. Or in Alanisi, we mentioned what the victory of the the many in the hand of the few, which again we don't have time now to develop that. If you understand what victory it was of of the Greek, the, the legion, the, 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 the troops that they sent over here, and each time they managed to overcome them, like guerrilla, they introduced, they say, the guerrilla warfare. He brought them into these, you know, uh, the towns, or not towns, you know, the caves, whatever, different places between the mountains, and attacked them, you know, one by one, he would kill, you know, they would knock them all off. They sent more, thousands of troops, thousands. Waves, and another time, the third time. They say they learned this in, in, in um, I don't know, West Point, but places all over the world, the, the battles of uh, the Maccabees. Because it wasn't, again, we're not talking about not only that they're not equipped, but the numbers, the, the, the mere numbers of thousands. They brought in later 10,000 troops more. I didn't, oh yeah, I forgot the stita, but they came back to the first time. They have to report to the Senate there, the, not the Senate, whatever they called it in Greece, that's the Roman Senate. But, and the, the first time they had to say that they lost. They never lost, they never came back. You know, they don't, you're not allowed to come back with not victorious for the, maybe that's Rome, that's the, the, the Caesar, whatever. That's already Roman Empire. But nevertheless, the same idea. But it was, um, it was never done before. No one ever managed to rebel against the, this kingdom. And who are we talking about? These small group. So that's, you know, the few in the hands of the many. Excuse me, the many in the hands of the few. Uh, later, which started to be a revolution for the sake of religion, religious freedom. We want, you know, they made, again, not Shabbat, uh, the temple destroyed in the defiling all these different things of uh, no brit milah. So we wanted religious freedom. But then after they won, and they kept winning and winning, and then the Greeks came and said, look, we have a deal to make. Uh, you can have, do what you want religiously. Total religious autonomy. You can have your temple, you can have your Shabbat, brit milah, everything. But we are the rulers. Now we're the, uh, you're part of the higher... Empire, 
but total uh, religious autonomy. And then you think that's all they were fighting for. The war began, the revolution began on that ground. But no, now it became a nationalistic. Now the war was on the shilton, on the sovereignty. Because Yudha Maccabee, later, they, when they had all these problems, the Jews in the south, so they sent one brother to take control of that, and then another uh, people from the north said, we have troubles, we have marauders and people attacking, so he sent one other brother. So that's how they became this kingdom. It became this autonomy, this independent state. And that's what we say we celebrate, the Rambam. The Rambam writes, when he talks about the commemoration of Hanukkah, that they came against it, they made decrees against it, and the Maccabees won with the help of God, etc., and returned Malchazra, Malchut, Yisrael, Yetra Matayim Shana. And the kingdom of Israel returned for more than 200 years. 200 years. He doesn't say uh, the spiritual way, he allows to do the mitzvot again. The kingdom returned. Chazra, Malchut, Yisrael. The return, we celebrate the returning of Jewish nationality. Because that nationality, our national shulton, autonomy, is not some political maneuver. That's the ability, to, we'll talk about this in the other class, of God's kingdom to come to the world. So just finish this paragraph. So this little pach that is uh, this little flask that is in the, the level, the place of the coin gadol, lo They couldn't defile this level. Kol koach v'zroa lo yuchal la'kor miklal Yisrael kishurama pnimia amokim Hashem elokeza. Nothing in this world, no force, no missiles, no nothing in this world can uproot, can destroy, can separate the connection of the inner connection. The outer connection they did defile. And the oils and the culture and the religious understanding, modern Orthodox, they managed to uh, infiltrate. But the inner, inner dimension, that there is no defiling. And from that, we saw, was restored the whole, uh, the, right, the whole glory of the Jewish people in this emunah, right? From that little flask, reignited for eight days, but also symbolized the, the culture, the inner, inner dimension exploded beyond what we'd think. Double, you're the minority. You're a fanatic minority. No one else wanted to fight the Greeks. We have no chance. You have to make peace with them. Let's, if, especially when they offered to give us religious freedom. Take the deal. What do you have to be a fanatic? We don't have a chance. But the small group that was sure, that had this emunah, that, uh, and that ignited, not only again the, the flask for the candelabra, but that ignited the, uh, the Jewish people again. Later, again, it was not so... Filtered out at then after 200 years after the fall of the, 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 the kingdom of the Maccabees was like 103 years. And then another 103 years was the um, Herodian kingdom, right? Hordus that built the, the, all the famous family, you know, fancy buildings here in the, the old city and the, the temple. Second. But that was uh, until the second temple was ultimately destroyed. So we're talking about these battles, you should know, were um, like 26 years, 27 years. And at the end, how does it go from, I think, minus, how did it minus, the, uh, in the Jewish years, the battle was from, wait, where was the merit? I put it here. From 60, 167 B.C. to 140 B.C. were the battles. There was a time, there was like a three-year break, and the, the Greeks... After losing twice, they sent over again different waves and we beat them. And then they stopped. In the three years, the Jews managed to go. Each one managed. They could take a breath. We're talking about people that uh, the battles were... In those days, battles were battles. And it wasn't the majority. Not everyone joined them. The Maccabees. And then finally, 
three years, a little bit of respite, and they managed to get back to their homes and trying to rebuild the land. And then again, another 10,000, so they sent over again. And the Jews said, uh, but 27 years this went on, this revolt, until Hanukkah. And then from 140 till 70 AD, in other words, uh, what's that, 210 years, like I said, the 210 years of Jewish sovereignty, the destruction, we had this king, after the Rambam writes, over 200 years. That includes the Herodian kingdom, without the Rambam. When he says the kingdom returned for over 200 years, the Herodian kingdom wasn't exactly the holiest kingdom. People talk about the religious state level of the state of Israel today. The Rambam says we celebrate the Hanukkah for the 200-year kingdom that returned. We won't talk about that now, but we'll talk about that when we talk about the kingdom of Israel today, the state of Israel. But Herod, what he did for the rabbi, he killed all the rabbis. It's, it wasn't the holiest kingdom, but the Rambam says the return of Jewish sovereignty for 200 years. The Rambam writes another place that the, the signs of the Mashiach is what? There's no difference between this world and the days of the Mashiach. It's based on the Gemara and Brachot 34, but the Rambam brings it down. There's no difference between this world and Olam Hazeh and Yemot Mashiach, except for Shibud Malchuyot. For the Gemara says, the subordination to the nations. In other words, the getting rid of the subordination to the nation. In other words, independence. And the Rambam writes, Shechozeret Malchut Yisrael, the Jew, return to Jewish sovereignty. And there's deep meaning there. It's not just political. That is divine meaning that now the, the nation can now live itself. If if the nation, if a great ta- artist, his hands are tied, he can't express that talent. If Amishel's spiritual hands are tied, not an independent nation that can live as its own independent nation, that is the condition that enables the spirituality, it's neshama to be revealed, not just the kingdom, the political running or the maneuvering of the government and politics and statehood. But that enables the, the divine kingdom to come through. But that's... Another topic. But here he says that nothing in the world can stop, can uproot, can, can separate the inner dimension, that inner, inner dimension. The inner, the deep inner dimension of the nation of the God of Israel. Right? That the great waters, endless waters will not quench that fire, that love, the fire of love to God, and the rivers will not wash it away. And not only the external rivers, in other words, the <coughs> culture of Greece and other enemies, or physical enemies and bombs, but even the sins of Am Yisrael. That's not what he's referring to here. But you should know that that's, we mentioned the Skula and the Bechira, that our free will cannot, that's what I mentioned in the beginning, right? That even we can't um, destroy, get rid of that Nishama, that inner level. It's not our doing, it's not a product, we didn't do it, we can't break it. We, can't, we didn't make it, we can't break it. That's a divine implant. You can express it, you can live up to it. And that's what our merit and our luck and our obligation is to do so. To be yourself, to be your real self, to expose that divinity, that divine, that light that comes to, the, to illuminate and uplift this whole world to, so much a, to what it's meant to be, what it will be. There's a few places that we see that, that impossibility to uh, uproot, how even karet, God forbid, the excommunication, where it says in the Torah, ha-nefesh, how the soul is cut off by certain severe sins. The Nefesh Chaim explains that even that, it's the Nefesh level, but there's the Ruach, Neshama, there's other levels of the, the inner, inner dimensions, if you will, of the soul of Israel. There's five levels the rabbis talk about. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. But the karet is always talked about in the Torah, v'nichrata ha-nefesh. That lowest physiobiological, the bridge between the man's psychological, spiritual, and the, the physical, that level can be severed. But even that, the Nefesh Shachayin, the student of the Vilna Gon that we learned once here, 
uh, in Shar Aleph talks about even that, there's ten levels of the nefesh, and only nine can be cut off. The tenth remains connected, so to speak, and therefore you can re replenish it, regenerate. When you add for the Ruach, and it talks about how you can do tshuva, and it actually it's not really severed. In other words, the nine were severed, but there was a, a higher dimension that remains, and that enables the regenerating, if you will, reconnecting the lower levels that were cut off. Rabbeinu B'chayai, the end of Parshat Acharimot in, in, in Vayikra, says that karet, there's no absolute karet, meaning the total disconnection of the Jewish soul. There's no such thing. He says karet, one explanation he gives there is connecting in front of God that you lose, the soul doesn't go up to its, can reconnect through Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is where the soul connects, the gate of heaven. So to speak, the, the karet is the not coming back to its proper to its proper channels through Eretz Yisrael. But rather it will connect after having received proper treatment, let's call it, after <coughs> death. It gets to this purification and it comes back in a different way, but it's still, there's no disconnection totally. Also the Gemara Makot, the end of Makot, talks about it's an Aveda, it's a lost, but a lost thing is found, like it's lost and found. There's, it's a lost soul, but Ultimately, that soul is also found. There's other sources that Rabbi David Chaikoven brought. Uh, he told us once in the Zohar and Mishpatim how it says how the Pasuk, Kvodi lo echel, God will not let his honor be defiled. And it says the honor is the soul, like we say in the morning. Before the Pesukah de Zimra. The Ashkenazim say it before, at the beginning, before Baruch Shemar. Uh, anyway, the man kavod. Kavod is the neshama. The kavod, in other words, God will not let the neshama be totally lost to the negative forces. It's never totally cut off. There's no such thing as total dissection, God forbid. And that's what the Gemara says that reikanim shivachach malim mitzvot kerimon. Like even the lowest, even the um, the most empty of you is full of mitzvot like a rimon, like a pomegranate. And we mentioned what the pomegranate is, the pomegranate is like there's an, in, usually fruits have the fruit and the seeds inside. But here the fruits are the seed. In other words, the inside is the fruit. There's no distinction. The Jews are full of mitzvot like a rimon because they, they are the mitzvot. The mitzvot and they are one, that's them. They are this holiness. So even the, what do you mean? The empty ones are full. It's empty, it's not full. And the full, it's not empty. But no, the empty, what seems to be empty on the surface, on the free will level, on the external level, the defiled level that the Greeks managed to defile the Jews seem to be empty and defiled, but there's a level that they are full, that they are remain intact and they are nevertheless full on this inner skula dimension. And that is what is most certain. And that is the certainty that ultimately this will rejuvenate the connection and its, its immutable connection to the divine, this light that comes to the world. Through the Jewish people, as we mentioned yesterday, what is the secret of immortality in the Mark Twain's article the, uh, concerning, on concerning the Jews? It's famous, the article that everyone quotes uh, of how the Jews are beyond the population and throughout history, made it through all the kingdoms, and here we are still today, see them all. What is the secret of the immortality? <coughs> and the secret is this, that inner dimension that is, it cannot be touched. There's nothing in the, no vehicle in this world, no kli, no... Um, instrument in this world that can destroy that because it's not from this world it's before the world created like the 
Rishit, the Am Yisrael, the idea of Am Yisrael, the goal of the world was created before the world. The goal was created for this goal, in order to fulfill and to express that goal. All of history is the unfolding towards that. Nothing can destroy that. Nothing can prevent that absolute good. And that is the whole story of Hanukkah, the, the certainty of the victory, of the ultimate, of this inner that seems to be, even on the surface, it looks like you're outnumbered. It looks like you've been vanquished. Your, your, your light has been, even the light of God has been vanquished. There's no such thing. There's a level. You can cut off the, the top level, the, the branches, but there's inner, underground, beneath the surface, there's roots, and they will shoot forth, not just a weak tree, but they will shoot forth beyond what you would have dreamed of. Eight days, beyond nature. And that's what Bezat Hashem will see again, and uh, we have to wake up the inner light of the Jewish people to broadcast, to spread, and to understand, to reveal, and to live it ourselves, and then to, uh, to bring it to fulfillment. <laughs> Yes. 
הפכו למוקש, וגאוותו נשבתה. ראש ימיני נישאת, ואויב שמו מחיתה. Salmo 